Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Quick story in case you weren't here, part of our church family a year and a half ago. In January, we had some sideways rain. Anybody remember that? 18 months ago? It was this weird storm. And we thought, well, that was weird. That was a lot of water. That was crazy. Glad that's over. Yeah, insert chuckle here. And somebody, I don't remember who, opened this door like a week later, and a lovely smell greeted them. The smell of mold. We had problems. Turns out, this just above this roof here, that section that goes up higher, those are old windows that had had uh, that had been painted over and had some drywall put up, whatever that w- from the casings being so old on the windows, water had soaked in there. We had this catastrophic mold on three of the four big walls. The two bathrooms were eaten out. It was awful. Okay, and I'm telling this story for a reason because that was when it all said and done, including like, hey, since we're here, oh yeah, I'm sorry, kiddos. You don't need to hear this story. I'm about to hit your parents up for money, so you guys can just bounce. We had this big old problem that was more than a $300,000 problem all said and done. And we, at the time, as a church, we only had, I think we had 50000 in cash at the time. So Who knows that a $50,000 cash cushion does not solve a $340,000 problem, Right. Yeah, you, you don't have to be homeschooled to, to, to do the math there, right? But here's the deal. We were better off than we would have been without the 50000 okay? Contractors were able to start their work because we had some money we could pay up front, right? We would have been in much more trouble without, okay? That event w- wiped out our savings as a church, And two months later, you guys did something to address it, for which I want to remind you that we did it and to say thank you. Two months later, we adopted a budget that had just an itty-bitty savings rate. It's a little over 1% of total receipts that we sock away every month into savings to slowly try to build up a cash cushion uh, so that once again, how many of you guys know rainy days happen, right? That's the point of a rainy day fund. You don't know when it's going to come or what it's exactly going to look like. Uh, But I say that to say this before we we do our giving time. That is one of the many things that I believe are both godly and wise. Saving is in the Bible. Um, Solomon Solomon says it this way. Hey, lazy person, take a look at the ant. The ant works as long as the weather's good, and the weather's no good anymore. The ant is fine. She has plenty of food she's stored up for herself. Okay? Uh, So I say that to let you know that those of you who... um, are faithfully giving, you call ARCF home, one tiny little slice, like I said, I think it's a little over 1%, is being saved to prepare our church family the next time there's a little financial crisis. It's not a crisis so much when you can write a check and pay cash, amen? Yeah, just just think of think of have you know sitting on $25,000 of cash and your car breaks down and it's not worth the repair. You have a car crisis, but do you have a financial crisis if you're sitting on 25,000 cash? No. 
No, you just you just go pay cash for something. It's it's not the end of the world. So I'm going to pray for us. That's just, I wanted to give that to you as an example of one of the many things the staff and elders are able to do with God's money that you guys give generously. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then whether you pull out your phone and go to myarcf.com or however you do that, there's also a bucket up here for those giving uh, cash or check, and then we'll uh, worship the Lord through money. So. Lord Jesus, Jesus, please give the saints generous hearts and lives. Give the elders, in addition to that, give the elders and staff wisdom. That we'd maximize the fame of the name of Jesus Christ from our little neck of citrus heights. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus, God's people said. Amen. Okay. It's not every week I say something like this, but here we go. Turn to Daniel chapter 4. If you're new to the Bible, turn to the table of contents first. Or if you think you have a halfway guess, it's roughly in the middle of the Bible and then a little bit to the right. Daniel chapter 4. We're going to be in a couple of places. That's just the first one. I feel like somebody sent out a memo yesterday that Pastor Greg wasn't going to wear deodorant. I guess I can really preach a real good one this week because I don't have to worry about who I spit on. It's not going to reach Mike. Yeah, it's going to be fire and brimstone this week. If you have been with us the last few weeks, you know that we are in the middle of a series called Hope 2020. Ah, one brave soul. I like it. This is great. Yeah, if you're, if you're soft-spoken but you'll give me amens, grab one of these chairs right away. I, I, I feed off of that. Yeah, exactly. We are in part five of what I believe is going to be a nine-part series, Hope 2020. We're talking about all of the things that this odd year has brought that might zap hope and and let's be honest it's not might things that have created chaos despair anger rage and today i uh, i told conrad and dennis earlier this is what i call a uh, a speed bump sermon you preach it and then the pastor all of a sudden disappears and then there's a new speed bump in the parking lot that looks a lot like the shape of your former pastor like this is one of those uh, today we're talking about hope in the midst of broken leadership. See, the thing is, in our current political climate, none of you is offended or necessarily even tense when I m even ass assert through the title that human leadership over us is broken. No one's offended yet because all the Republicans just went, yeah, our governor's a mess, and all the Democrats just went, yeah, our president's a mess. You just heard what you wanted to hear, and so you're not upset yet. But I'll fix that. <laughs> All right? That's actually one of the dangers of a democracy, and, and praise God for a democracy and separation of powers. If we were a, a, an absolutist monarchy, we have a king or a queen, and that's the end of the discussion, right? But because of our separation of powers, you can find a leader somewhere 
that you do agree with and you can find a leader somewhere you disagree with. Does that make sense? Say yes. It doesn't matter if you're talking about the county board of supervisors, a mayor, somebody on city council, a state senator, national senator, a member of the house, president, judiciary. You can find people you agree with and disagree with. But when I say hope in the midst of broken leadership, and here's like, this isn't even in the notes, this is a, an assumption down beneath. I'm going to insinuate today that even your favorite politician is a broken cistern at best. See, I, yeah, I'm, it's going to take the next 40 minutes because I don't think you believe me. So you, you just did this right now. You're like, yeah, well, there are a lot of broken politicians, but, but my favorite one, I mean, come on, man. And, and the reason that I have to do this deconstruction today, to take even your favorite politician and drag him or her out of this deified state, I, the reason I have to do it is because, well, there was this book I was reading. Okay? Christians get into trouble all the time when they read the book because the book doesn't just tell non-Christians they're wrong. It tells Christians that they're wrong. So we're going to have troubles today. The first point of this sermon you're going to really like. It's the second one that's a doozy. Okay? So we're going to be happy for a little bit. Hope in the midst of broken leadership. All right. First point, you note takers, grab your pen. Find hope in the divine limits of human authority. Brothers and sisters, do it. Find hope in the divine limits of human authority. Would it not be hopeless to find out that human authority, especially while you're disagreeing with them, to find out human authority has no limits at all? Sounds scary. Sound like you, your neighbor's getting loaded onto a, a, a boxcar of a train and they're going somewhere and you don't know why? And you never see them again? I think we all know absolutist human authority is supposed to be scary as all get out. You don't have to be an incredible student of history to know that things can go really, really poorly, right? Okay? Well, I'm going to submit to you, and this is more of a historical point, and, and you'll, I'll probably get some tomatoes thrown at me. I'm going to submit to you that the very, very worst that the United States has seen is simply chump change to, compared to our brothers and sisters in the Bible, what they had to deal with. I'm just going to submit that to you based on the common grace that is democracy, okay? It protects us from some of the, some of the sharpest edges, okay? Uh, some of these we're going to turn to, and some of them I'm just going to share. I'm going to say this very briefly in case you're new to church. Uh, first thing I'd like to draw your eyes to related to God limiting human authority. The story of Yahweh smashing Pharaoh in Exodus chapters 5 through 14 I wanted to know, because I knew in my small brain, I knew that there are ten plagues of Egypt. Yahweh is coming, and through prophet Moses and Aaron, he's going to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. They're not going to be your slaves anymore. They are going to be free to worship me. Um, they're going to be their own people. I knew that since there were ten plagues, that's at least nine opportunities for Pharaoh to repent. If you're new to church, that is a 180-degree turn where you agree with God. God, what you just said, that was 100% true, and I'm going to embrace it wholeheartedly even though it's difficult. I'm going to trust you as a father. I'm not going to wage war against you any longer. 
at least nine opportunities that this very powerful human being, boy, is that a qualifier, easily the most powerful human being on earth at the time, has a chance to obey an authority that is infinitely stronger, infinitely more wise. And he shows the wisdom and the power and the sovereignty of himself over Pharaoh and over Pharaoh's supposed deities in the types of plagues that he doles out on Pharaoh and on Egypt. If there was no irony, if there was no meaning on the types of plagues that God doled out, we would still see the power being different, but I want you to see today, especially if you already know this story and you kind of have a rubric in your head of the, maybe you saw Prince of Egypt, you know, 23 years ago, whatever. you have something in your head right now about this story. I want to convince you guys today, amongst other things, that when Yahweh purposefully smashes these false gods one by one, I want to, commu- I want to convince you that Yahweh is still coming after Pharaoh's heart. He's not smashing Pharaoh, really. He's he's smashing Pharaoh's false deities and false hopes. If you cannot see God's infinite love against rebels, I need to try to help you today. The scripture says it is God's will that none should perish. So when you're sitting there going, well, you know, Romans says that he makes some vessels for this use and some vessels for that use. Yeah, 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 you're trying to take godlike knowledge and shove it into your small brain relax relax what you can see is that god even in his wrath toward pharaoh is still trying to woo his heart you can even see it in the text where you see it says certain times god hardened pharaoh's heart you know and then it messes with your theology and you're like what do i do with that well i tell you what to do with it go and read the story again and look at the times where it says pharaoh hardened pharaoh's heart Wrestle with those two. If God did not have any desire to extend a knowledge, I've told you guys this before. The inclusivity and exclusivity of the gospel is packaged very neatly just in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, everybody, that he gave his son that who? No, not all, not by a long shot. Whoever believes. God loves all and that love for all is communicated by offering the son to whoever believes. If you can wrap your mind around that, you are smarter than me. There is something about offering the blood of your son Jesus as a ransom for whoever will respond to that mercy that is loving to the whole world, not just those who are saved. Another way of saying it is this. It was loving that he offered you any mercy at all. He loved you whether you responded to that love or not. He loved you. And our Father and the Son and the Spirit are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So there is a mercy going on in Yahweh's bosom as he crushes Pharaoh. Let me say this in modern terms. Jesus Christ is not happy when he throws you into hell. He takes no joy in it whatsoever. It's real but it is a personal human choice. And from God's perspective, it's so clear, it's a tragic choice to remain God's enemy when mercy is waiting right there for you. 
There are divine limits on human authority. We saw it when God smashed Pharaoh. Many, many moons later, when Israel becomes a, established under a pseudo-pagan monarchy, they didn't want God to be king anymore, and they asked for a king, and that went really well for about three minutes. And it got worse and worse and worse until God judges his children and has pagan kings come and conquer them and take them away. Until the last king of Judah sat down with his lyre and wrote that famed uh, psalm, they're coming to take me away, he he, ha ha, ho ho, to the funny part. That's not really where the song came from, folks. Relax. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 4. We're going to read just a few verses. 424, this is Daniel interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So back to the same narrative. Probably the most powerful human being on planet Earth at the time. And God gives Nebuchadnezzar a dream. Verse 24, Daniel speaking. This is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High has declared will happen to my lord, the king. In just one verse, how much respect did Daniel give to this pagan king? Did that sound respectful, disrespectful, or neutral? Your majesty and what the Most High, uh-oh, do you see what Daniel's doing in the same breath? He gives respect to the king in front of him, but let's be clear about who's the most high. Superlative. Both. 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 Whole sermon right there. You will be driven from human society, and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until the, you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Ooh, tell Americans that. <laughs> what do you mean? That person got the most votes. Well, God says it's a little bit deeper than that. He says it's a little bit deeper than that. Verse 26, but the stump and roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. How many of you guys know when you get a weed, you got to get it out by the root? And if you just mow over those weeds, the grass looks really good for about 10 minutes. How many can testify green, that weeds can be really, really green if you water them well enough? Okay. How many of you would like to be that weed? Ouch, right? Again, mercy of the Most High. He is saying, I'm leaving the root intact. It is my intention that you will grow back. This is going to happen. When? Well, when you learn that the Most High rules over all the nations of the earth. That's, this is a big cosmic timeout. Anybody been put on a timeout for seven years? Well, how are you going to make me sit in a corner? I'm the most powerful human being on earth. I'll take away your sanity, and we'll see how that goes. Is there any human authority that could not be taken away if God took your sanity from you? No. Everyone in the inner court that's been living in the lap of luxury off of your wealth, you go nuts, and they go, oh, okay, who's going to be king now? Right? They're going to be terrified. Where do I find my security? How's, how's this going to work? How are we going to run this country? 
27. 27. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. And if you've read the rest of the story, he doesn't. Until, check this out, verse 34. So he goes nuts. He's out in the, in the fields for seven years. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, wait, wait, who's writing? Who's writing now? Oh, my goodness. How many of you guys know that when God delivers you, it's time to, to, to share some testimonies? So it's straight from Nebuchadnezzar's hand. I looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshiped the most high. Same language, right? He accepted the Most High as being the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting. So, right, look at how this is written in your Bible. This is a song. This is a poem. There's some kind of art artistic license here in the lines that are being used. His rule is everlasting. His kingdom eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. Is Nebuchadnezzar a part of all? Wow. So he's humbling himself here. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. I bet Ramses wish, wishes he could have a do-over. Don't tell me that Yahweh's heart wasn't merciful for, toward Ramses if there's another pagan king who does respond to the patience of God, right? Don't tell me the covenant's changed. The covenant has not changed. From Exodus 5 to the book of Daniel, you can't play any games. Well, Jesus came and it changed things. No. There's a law. There's a God in heaven. There's a God who's merciful to reach out and say, knock it off. You've overstepped your bounds in your arrogance. Even in the book of Acts, when we did have the blood of Jesus Christ offering forgiveness of sins to all who believe, there's still a Roman ruler who's recorded in the book of Acts, gives a speech, people praise and worship him as a god, and he soaks it up. Yeah, I am pretty awesome. And God kills him on the spot. Now, important trivia question. Have there been a lot of arrogant things done by arrogant leaders since that guy died 2,000 years ago? Have there been plenty of arrogant people that God did not kill on the spot? Okay. So you, you can't extrapolate from something that occurred, right? It's a history. It's saying what happened. You cannot say God's going to zap everybody. And in fact... The sons of thunder asking Jesus about the Samaritans. Can we call on fire from heaven now and zap them? And Jesus just, you're not getting it. This is not what my kingdom's about. God can and he will if and when he needs to. Anyway, there are limits to human authority, especially the one who can take away your heartbeat. Let me take a quick look. No, I'm just going to tell the story. We, we don't have the time. I'm going to tell a story in John 19, starting at verse 11. It's in your notes. I would love for you to go read it and study it this week. This probably tells us everything we need to know about dealing with broken leadership. Jesus has been falsely accused. He goes before Pilate, the Roman, I think he's a procurator, technically. I don't know that for sure, but governor. 
And Pilate can easily see that the religious elite of the Jews are jealous of Jesus. It says so right there in the text. He's trying to set him free. Look, this is, you can just tell, this is silly, this is political, what have you. This isn't getting anywhere with the crowd. So has Jesus flogged? That's a horrifying beating. Jesus comes in front of Pilate again. The crowds are not pacified. That's a sermon unto itself. If you think Jesus getting flogged will satisfy an angry mob, it actually won't. Until God is dead, the angry mob will not be satisfied. You can see it in your world all around you. And Jesus, and this is only recorded in the Gospel of John, I'm pretty sure. He says to Pilate, Pilate is pleading with him. Would you answer my questions? Don't you realize I have the power to set you free or to crucify? Do you see the amount of authority that I have, the leeway for your destiny? Just answer my questions. Help me out, dude. I can tell that you haven't done anything wrong. Why are you not answering my questions? See, Pilate didn't know that as a sheep headed to the slaughter, he was silent before his shearers. Pilate has no clue what's going on. He has no idea that the God-man who is the word but also knows the word is fulfilling every jot and tittle of the law. So he does not defend himself. In fact, I don't think Jesus ever defends himself. He lets the Father handle it because he trusts God. How many sermons can we pack into one day? Goodness gracious. He doesn't need to defend himself. He trusts God. He says to Pilate, I hope this haunts us. You have the authority that you have because it was given to you from above. So really, the ones who delivered me over to you have the greater sin. Let me unpack that. You're just doing the best you can. And, you know, he knows he's going to play the coward here in a minute. You're doing the best you can with authority given to you from God. But woe to my enemies who specifically are using a broken leadership structure to make sure they get injustice. This is like knowing you have a crooked judge in town and you can steal from your neighbor or do something else nefarious because you know you're going to get away with it. There's an abusive and broken power structure and you are going to purposefully and proactively use the brokenness to your advantage. And Jesus says, their sin is greater even than yours. He didn't let Pilate off the hook. He's not saying he's not sinning. He's just saying those that can smell the opportunity, they smell blood in the water. Hey, here's an ab abusive authority structure. We can use this for what we want to achieve. And then the very next verse, Jesus calls down angels and kills Pilate and kills all of his enemies and then kills everybody in Jerusalem that doesn't love Jesus and have a fish bumper sticker on the back of their camel and then he inaugurates the kingdom of God. Right? That's exactly what happened, right? Or, I think you guys know the story from your chuckles. He allows the broken pagan Rebellious against God authority. He allows that authority to crucify him.
Huh? Jesus, I thought you had your rights, though. You just extrapolated this. Look, the person in front of me has rights from my father. He's my daddy. Trust me. This should have been settled. This should have been settled, Jesus. You stated the facts. You made your case. How on earth does Jesus still end up at a cross? Except that he wasn't clamoring for his rights. If the second person of the Trinity had clamored for his rights, he would have never taken on flesh to become a human in the first place. He didn't come to clamor for his rights. He came to die. And in his sovereignty, in the wisdom of the Father, he knew that he was going to be tortured and crucified by broken leaders after being betrayed by broken leaders. Christians, our Savior trusted his Father in the midst of broken leadership. This is it precisely why there are Christian churches really all over the world that right now their pastors and elders are struggling with what is our relationship to governing authority in the midst of a health crisis. If there was a Bible verse, if you just opened it up and it said, when coronavirus comes, do this. Man, this would have been so much easier if that verse existed. Because then you can just obey it and say, sorry, governing authorities, we have a verse. It's really clear. Or, sorry, grumpy Christians, we have to obey governing authority because it's all really, really clear. Honoring and obeying of governing authority, and we're about to get to, you know, we see this in the divine limits, never ever gives a child of God permission to sin against their father. So this is why we've got pastors, deacons, elders all over the world going, Lord, how do we honor you directly by gathering, praying, living out the one another's, proclaiming, and really not how do we honor our authorities. How do we honor God by honoring our authorities? Both sides are trying to honor God. Both arguments are about God. If it wasn't that way, there would be a lot more uniformity amongst Christian pastors, and there isn't. That means this is what we, I grew up calling a tough cookie. It's a tough cookie, and that's why I asked for you to pray for your elders, okay? If it was simple, we would have figured it out in March, but it's not, okay? Some implications, oh, oh, and yeah, go look at Peter and John before the Sanhedrin as well. Some implications of divine limits to human authority. I don't look at pornography simply because the government says it's protected under the First Amendment. How many of you guys knew that one? First Amendment. You have rights. Go ahead and demand them. Right? There's no way as a Christian you're going to want to exercise that right. Support human trafficking. Destroy my marriage. Dishonor my father. Poor example to my kids. Poor example to the world of treating people like mere flesh. I don't abort my child simply because the government says this is part of my right to privacy. How many of you guys know that that is the fundamental legal argument down beneath Roe v. Wade? You have a right to privacy. Government gave that right. Is a Christian going to exercise that right? I hope not. 
If you did exercise that right, it's a good thing that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you know what's really, really good news if that's your story? I, I remind people of this incessantly. Those who have put a baby in the ground one way or the other. It is fascinating to me that when David loses a seven-day-old son, he finishes his morning, he washes his face and says, one day I will go to him. That is a merciful God. He has the power. And we, listen, if you've been in the church, I hope you've read Romans. We're all sinners to our core. Even David says, behold, in iniquity was I conceived. But since salvation is a miracle anyway, I mean, and that's not even unprecedented. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit in utero. Before he had the brain synapses to hear a gospel message, think about it analytically and decide whether he agrees or disagrees. Why? Because salvation is spiritual, not intellectual. We have the privilege, and I'm going to hold on to it until God tells me I'm wrong. We have the privilege of believing, if within scriptural, scriptural limitations, of believing that every baby slaughtered when Moses was two years old went directly into the arms of their father. We have the ability to believe every baby slaughtered when Herod was trying to come after baby Jesus, that all of those kids went directly into the arms of the father. We have the ability to believe within scriptural limitations that the tens of millions of kids we have killed here in our country alone, we have the ability to believe that they've gone directly into the arms of their father. If abortion is a part of your story, I want you to know that your father's mercy is stronger than the mistakes you've made of the past. Yeah, next is hail, then the frogs, then the gnats, and then I think we lose our drinking water at some point in there. I don't sleep with my girlfriend just because the government says it's okay. How many of you guys know you can have sex with just about any consenting adult? The government is not going to say it's wrong. How many of you guys know that? Nobody knows that. I need to see more. At least shield your head from the rain. Something, folks. Give me an amen. Hallelujah. Okay. The government is totally okay with all kinds of sexual behavior that is outside of God's best for humanity. This is really kind of awesome, actually. If you'd have asked me, at the start of 2020, hey, Greg, what's going to be the highlight? I'm going to go, preaching in Leatherby's. That was the highlight. <laughs> no, there are all these other crazy highlights. Can you guys imagine what Christmas is going to be like? It'll, it'll be like 104 degrees out with sulfur firing down from heaven. It's, it'll, who knows? Who knows what Christmas will bring? Next, I don't worship false gods because the government allows me to. How many of you guys know the First Amendment allows you to worship whatever deity you want to worship? Is Yahweh okay with that? Right? The very foundation of human rebellion against God is protected in the First Amendment. Now, it's a double-edged sword. That amendment also allows you to worship God freely. So amen for that, right? One of our core values as a church is serving God and serving others. Would you guys say thank you to these brothers for with me right now? I do not slander and gossip just because the government says that those are allowed under freedom of speech. I don't pursue divorce casually because the government has made it easily accessible. 
Just a side note, and I know the elders and staff have heard me say this before. There are a lot of times where divorce looks like a gray area where a woman is being treated very poorly, and yet there's not a Bible verse that says that particular type of treatment is grounds for divorce. And I keep wondering, can't the deacons just show up with a baseball bat? I mean, sometimes, I don't know, man. You didn't get enough whippings when you were seven, and now you're 47. You're not treating your wife very well. I have a belt. I don't have a Bible verse for that, but it just sounds like a nice middle ground. After this beating, you're going to be nicer to your wife. I do not teach my children evolution simply because the government endorses that viewpoint. Okay? So I love you. If you're all into Americana, your whole living room's done in red, white, and blue. You got the Make America Great Again bumper sticker, all of that. That's great. Do not live under any delusion that we are still a Christian country. I just gave you lots of good reasons to say Christianity is now thoroughly a part of our past. Is it the most influential religion in the U.S.? Yeah, I think so. But let's not pretend. If we pretend, brothers and sisters, this is really critical. If we pretend we will not pray right and we will not proclaim right, we got a bunch of people, particularly in the South, they think they're a Christian because they were born in Alabama. Listen to country music. Listen how often he, they're sleeping with their girlfriend on Friday night and getting sloshed out of their minds. They glorify alcohol and all kinds of sexual behavior and then talk about the good Lord in the same song. This is when culture used to be cruciform. And there are these cultural leftovers where we still maybe go to church, or at least grandma did, we think we're Christians because we were born in Georgia. Brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, you're, you're going to end up not praying for people that need to be prayed for. You're going to end up not proclaiming the gospel to people who need the gospel. If you just take it face value. Well, they said they're Christian. That's not good enough. Many will say to me on the last day, Lord, Lord, we did miracles in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And you know what's going to happen? I'm going to say, go away. I never knew you. Brothers and sisters, you are not loving the person next to you if you assume based off of their verbal proclamation, but none of their behavior shows any honor to God whatsoever, you're not loving them unless you still pray for them, pray for their salvation, because their behavior is revealing they don't love God at all. Your job isn't to judge them. Your job isn't to look down at them. Your job is to pray for them. Here in California, we don't see that quite as much. Our pagans are really comfortable. They'll sacrifice a black cat in broad day over a pentagram during an orgy. And I like California, uh, Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Washington. I like fully post-Christian culture. I like it because you're not ashamed of what you really believe, so I know right from the get-go where I'm starting. I like that. It makes my life easier. ARCF, if we existed right now in Montgomery, Alabama, it would be really hard because everyone thinks they're a Christian. Second, first, find hope in the divine limits of human authority. Second, this is the part where no one's going to like me. Find hope in your humble submission. Find hope in your humble submission. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2.
First Peter chapter two. These are those verses where I could just read them without any commentary, and you guys would already be upset. How many of you guys know there are more popular and less popular parts of the Bible? Right? Anybody reading the story of Jephthah's daughter to your four-year-old before bedtime? Nah? No? Okay, sorry. <laughs> if you're new to church, look that one up. <laughs> oh, boy. First Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read 13 through 17. This is Peter. You want to talk about submission? He allowed the Roman government to crucify him upside down. The government there didn't have First Amendment rights. He, he wasn't allowed to be a Christian. For the Lord's sake. Okay, for whose sake? Why are we doing this? We're doing this because we like the governor. We're doing this because we like the Senate. We're doing this because we agree with the judiciary. Okay, I'm just making sure. For the Lord's sake, respect all human authority. Okay, guys, all in Greek. Do you guys know what the original Greek meaning of the word all? All. Human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. Why? Glad you asked. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Whoa. Brothers and sisters, do we trust God? This is not the only text that says a quiet, humble, hardworking people are testifying to the goodness of Jesus Christ and his transformation of our lives. This is so backwards from grabbing a, a what are those... Uh, Megaphones. This is so opposite of shouting out, literally or proverbially, on Facebook, this is my opinion, this is my stance, which, you know, that might be all good. But numerous times, the New Testament in particular says a quiet, humble, hardworking life, treat your family well, love your neighbor, love the foreigner and the sojourner. It is God's will that your humble lives should silence those ignorant people. Brothers, you and I think that silence only comes by convincing somebody of my perspective. We believe that. We have to believe it. Why, do we, why are we still talking? We're still talking because I think your thoughts are wrong. And God says they need an example. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. I should have put on a helmet and some sh some football pads and a cup, you know, and, and, and the, what are those catcher's pads that go down to the shins? I should have put all that on before reading that one, right? Nobody likes that verse. Don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. In other words, by God's own authority, there is right and wrong. And under that, you've got freedom. Don't use the freedom to sin. You do have the freedom to, we even hear politically, you do have the freedom to go sleep with somebody you're not married to. Don't use your freedom to do that. You have the freedom to say something perhaps 
slanderous toward one of your leaders. Don't use your freedom for that. By the way, I'm not, slander is not disagreement. Amen? There's, ver- there's tons of biblical example of humble and respectful disagreement. Okay? Earlier in Daniel, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego submitting to their leader a request to eat vegetables and drink water um, because they <laughs> didn't have Pentecost where they could finally eat bacon. Hallelujah. Uh, but where, where they were at, and it's very interesting. Good, look at the language. They, did, they weren't obstinate. They didn't make picketing signs. They humbly submitted to the leadership that was there and said, we have very strong conviction. We're purposing in our hearts not to sin, right? So take a look at it. It's beautiful. Um, 17, respect everyone and love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God and respect the king. So here, here's my, what I want to submit to you before we move on because we're running out of time. If a guy who has suffered a lot at the hands of the Roman government and is eventually crucified by them, if he says respect imperator, right, you got, we don't even have an emperor to respect, the height, the top of our government cannot crucify us. If somebody like Paul or Peter who have suffered from this government, if they can say, respect the king, pray for the king, this doesn't mean that they're naive, brothers and sisters. There's so much accusation flying around online of naivete when people want to be submissive, and that's not true for Christians. A Christian that submits imminently feels God's power. It's really that simple. A Christian that submits believes in their bones that God can and will change the situation at any time inside his sovereign will. Let me say it a little more aggressively. God knows, a Christian that submits to human leadership knows that God's thumb could come down at any point and squish a governor or squish a county board of supervisors, or squish a president, or squish a senator. We do not believe that God's power and sovereignty are that imminently present. And because we don't believe it, we take things into our own hands, the way Abraham and Sarah took things into their own hands to bring about God's promises. And we decide that our rebellion against the human leaders is the answer. When what God told us to do was to live quiet, humble, and submissive lives and let God fight our battles. Brothers and sisters, Jericho wasn't a battle won by Israel. It was won by God. Can you imagine how much faith it takes when you're supposed to be attacking a wall and he says, pull out an instrument and praise me? Do you know how much faith that takes? Praise obedience and faith and the power of the Most High knocked down the walls of Jericho. There was no battering ram. Your little blanks down beneath that. Why, why humble submission? It pleases your father. That's your first blank. It pleases your father. That should be reason enough. It testifies to the world of your father's existence, authority, and trustworthiness. Read 1 Peter 2 on your own again more this week. Please go to Romans 13 on your own this week, and you will see that all three of those are testified to when we humbly submit, those of us who love Jesus, when we humbly submit that God exists, that he has authority, and that he is trustworthy. All three of those things are communicated. Can I get an amen that we want those three things communicated to our world? Yes, God exists. Yes, he has authority over all of this, and yes, he can be trusted. You didn't think you were evangelizing when you submitted to leadership, did you? And then last, and we're going to be done. 
Find hope in Jesus' perfect leadership. There's your blank. Find hope in Jesus' perfect leadership. I referenced three chapters of Revelation in particular there in your notes. But if you haven't read Revelation before, or if it's been a long time, I want you to read it, and I want you to let go of all of the symbolic imagery that might confuse you, and just pay attention to what you can see, and I want you to march through the book with one question in mind, and this one you'll easily get the answer to, okay? Who is in charge? There is no symbolism anywhere in that book that will confuse you. Oh, I don't know how to interpret this. No, no, no. All I told you was to ask the question, who is in charge? And really, honestly, by chapter 4, it's pretty darn clear. When you get a title like the one who is seated on the throne, isn't that a little bit wordy? Yeah, but I'm kind of awesome. <laughs> a whole chapter of the Bible, they don't even call you Jesus. They don't call you the Christ. They don't call you the Messiah. The one who is seated on the throne. Wow. And then you read the description. Brothers and sisters, I know that we all feel like we're going to live forever. I know there is a temptation to go, well, Jesus didn't come back the last 2,000 years, so who knows, you know, maybe he's taking a nap, maybe something's going on. There is hope that is brought in the Christian life when you love Jesus, you are washed by his blood, by faith. There is hope in Christ's lordship over everything. It feels good to know that there is no broken and dark thing that he's not going to roll back. He's going to judge every dark thing. Our brother, J.R.R. Tolkien, said it this way. He will make every sad thing become untrue. Brothers and sisters, do sad and broken things right now feel true? Do they feel real? Imagine a God who is so strong, he will take what is totally real right now and unmake it on the molecular level. Until sinners redeemed are in the city of God and the city comes down onto earth and there is no sin and there is no hunger and there is no thirst. Brothers and sisters, that'll give you hope if you remind yourself of it. And if you don't remind yourself of it, it can't give you hope. Does that make sense? Remind yourself. There's a beautiful song right now on the radio called Is He Worthy? Anybody heard that one? Of all blessing and honor and glory. And the last verse. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Okay. Brothers and sisters, there's a long biblical history that the church is supposed to remind ourselves of what is true. This means that the brokenness and fallenness of our minds we forget. Okay? I'm going to pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you, and we can never thank you enough that you are the perfect leader. I ask by your Holy Spirit today that you would move in the hearts of us. God, some of us have not yet seen you for who you are. We don't love you yet. And ask your spirit to reveal, help us to see you, Jesus, for who you are as we wrestle and as we uh, wrestle with the Bible, wrestle with, wrestle with Christianity. Jesus, for those of us that already know you and love you, God, that we believe, we declare today out loud to ourselves and to you, there's so much more obeying of you that we will do if we humbly submit to your sovereignty over broken leaders. 
And we don't have to demonize them and we don't have to deify them. We just have to remember that you're the one who makes us walk on water. And maybe our broken leadership are just uh, unreliable waves. God, we celebrate today and we thank you today that you are not a presidential candidate that has to be voted on. We thank you that you're coming back on a horse with a sword. We thank you, God, that you are more furious with the injustice in our world than we are. We thank you, God, that in your infinite knowledge and wisdom, there is no evil deed that will go undealt with. And above all, God, we thank you for your mercy that the most heinous sinners amongst us can be, receive forgiveness by your blood if we want it. We could not ever deserve a God like you. There is none like you. Brothers and sisters, join me if you know this one. Nothing else could change my heart like you do. And I could search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. Brothers and sisters, I love you. Have a great week. Go and honor the Lord Jesus Christ with your hearts, attitudes, and words. Amen.